Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to have John Hamer back on the show. He's a 70 in the community of Christ and also the author of an amazing book with Newell Bringhurst, Scattering of the Saints, Schism Within Mormonism. So you can see all these little dots here. We're going to get into all the little dots in this episode and talk about some of the schisms in some of the other groups uh, like Hedrickites, Cutlerites, and, and all those other manner of ites. So it's going to be a fun conversation. You won't want to miss it. Check it out. And so just to take a look at some of the examples and put them together here. So um, purification uh, churches are more likely to get back to the blue, right? <laughs> so, so I was talking about blue as being that New York. Um, um, I, when, they're, when they're an active church here in my symbols now going forward, um, and so these are active at the time, but they won't be in the future. But anyway, in our present, um, if they're a little star like this, that's showing like um, that it's the active church that's alive. And then if it's a circle, that means it's an iteration that we've moved past or that is now extinct or has been superseded by a new uh, successive organizations. And so anyway, that's just a, a symbol here for the symbols I'm using. So for purified folks, examples of this are our Warren Parish, our Sidney Rigdon, are David Whitmer. So we mentioned, for example, um, the Whitmerite churches. And so here are the two dates now, finally. So the first of those Whitmerite churches, 1847 to 1848, is that one that is the um, church that McClellan is running in, in Whitmer's name, that the Whitmers defa- uh, disavow. So then Whitmer later, uh, much later here, I guess it's 1875 to uh, 1961, um, is reorganizes their own Whitmerite church. And it's only gone extinct, like I said, in the 1960s finally. But it's a church that is um, uh, very New York in its origin. It's got, Everybody has their own seer stones again. They're all receiving revelations. It's all back to uh, back to those kind of good old-fashioned basics. And usually what happens is, because the original church was called Church of Christ, uh, and, the, and they had an apologetic argument for that, they would say, if we're trying to get back to what the apostolic church was in the book of Acts in the New Testament, you don't see there, it doesn't say Catholic church. It doesn't say Methodist Church or Presbyterian Church. It says Church of Christ or Church of God. And so all of these churches tend to get to recover that original name, Church of Christ, which is the name that the church was organized for in, in April 6, uh, 1830. So in addition to Whitmer's, the Whitmerite Church of Christ, um, Sidney Rigdon, again, when he goes back uh, to Pittsburgh and reorganizes his church, um, they... They make a newspaper. The newspaper's the newspaper's name is the Messenger and Advocate. <laughs> so the Messenger and Advocate is the old name of the of the uh, of the newspaper in in from Kirtland, you know. And so uh, and so now the um, and originally it is the Latter Day Saint Messenger and Advocate. But after a few issues, it becomes Messenger and Advocate of the Church of Christ. So what's happened? <laughs> so they've peeled back another layer. They've decided, um, Sidney Rigdon and the others and in his organization have decided it was a mistake when we changed the name of the church from Church of Christ to Church of the Latter-day Saints, uh, which happened right before Zion's camp. And so now they're getting rid of, they also don't like the compromise, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so now they've rolled it back again to Church of Christ. And so ultimately, as Sidney Rigdon rolls back, um, peels back the onion, he gets to the part that he was important to him um, before uh, before his Church of Christ merged with Joseph Smith's Church of Christ, which is 
this having all things in common, living together out on a farm, this communitarian experiment that was taking place in Kirtland and Mentor prior to all of those important early members um, combining their church with Joseph Smith's Church of Christ and the headquarters being actually absorbed, Joseph Smith's church being absorbed by Sidney Rigdon's church and moving to Kirtland and so forth. Uh, and so now Sidney Rigdon does that again. So they go to a farm, they all kind of try to live in things in common, and again, totally doesn't work, <laughs> which it usually doesn't. Once you get in property all messed up, it, you have to be very intentional and you've got to have a lot of people that are really committed in order to make uh, living with all things in common work. Uh, and so essentially that causes Sidney Rigdon's church to atomize. And so it's gone. Um, likewise, I thought at one time it was called the Church of Jesus Christ of the Children of Zion. So, okay, so there's another, um, so there's another Rigdonite church. Uh, and so, so, oh, wow. so, so in the same way that David Whitmer has a, um, so the same way that David Whitmer has a, uh, a, a church that is McClellan, McClellan church. church in his name. Um, so Sidney Rigdon in his late in, in life, um, has a, uh, a correspondence church, um, that is, who is it? Yeah, Stephen it's with Page. Stephen Page. And so Stephen Page is okay. essentially um, who has been a Strangite and he's done other things. So Stephen Page um, has his own church in Iowa and later Canada, right? And so, and he, um, and he is uh, more or less for legitimacy. He is like writing to Sidney Rigdon, who is then giving him all kinds of encouragement and offices and, and instructions and things like that. But Sidney Rigdon is still living in New York in his, in his son's attic or whatever he's doing, right? And so he has no, he's not actually associated with this church, but it's kind of like a, a correspondence church where it's a Rigdonite church that, that is getting, in the sense that it's getting legitimation from Rigdon. Um, and so then that, that church is okay. extinct. That's where it comes yeah. from. And so that's a, it's a that's that church yeah. is extinct. It's an interesting church. And so that's different from the Bickerton because Bickerton took over Sydney's church. That, so yeah, it's a different it's a different Rigdonite church, and, and in this case, it's one that's extinct. So the the one that's in Pittsburgh, um, we now yeah, like you say, uh, Bickerton reorganizes that church after 1853, and that is to continue, continues to this day as the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, which we call, like you say, the Bickertonites. Right. And so that's one of the ex ex extant branches. And it's actually one of the, one of the, you know, it has about 10,000 members or so. So it's one of the the larger ones. And it's also interesting because it, it doesn't have, it's the only one that hasn't existed in the shadow of either the LDS church or the RLDS church, because they're off in Pennsylvania doing their own thing. They're the little, they're the little stone that was uh, cut out of the wall, you know, without hands and is rolling and is going to one day uh, just, you know, envelop the whole earth. And when you go and talk to those guys, they're too busy being the one and only true church to have bothered too much with what us uh, community of Christers and what you Mormons are doing. Because <laughs> they're busy. <laughs> they're great. <laughs> I'm hoping to visit their church uh, this winter. Oh, that'll so be we'll fun. See. <laughs> we'll keep you on your toes. They're great. So then the, another one here that I'm listing here yeah. is Warren Parrish's church. And so actually when the, um, so after the banking debacle, when the, uh, the bank 
uh, in Kirtland, Ohio goes bankrupt. Again, like I say, when you get property involved, um, that's a mess. <laughs> so, so all of these people had put all of their, you know, anybody who had property, um, you know, the members of the Kirtland High Council and so forth, or, uh, you know, put their money into it. And then the bank failed despite property seized to the contrary. I mean, the members didn't know how to make a bank. And so anyway, they were, they, they, uh, it ended up causing a bunch of dissension and, and then, uh, and bankruptcies too. And so as a result, uh, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon lose control of the church in Kirtland. Uh, the church in Kirtland excommunicates them. It continues to exist uh, and it decides again, it's purifying. So it decides, you know, when, when did we mess up? when we started that bank <laughs> you know so joseph smith was definitely a fallen prophet when he started that bank but then they decided he it was he was um you know was also wrong to have led zion's camp to have changed the name of the church so again the name of the church becomes church of christ so they go back to the old name um when they changed the revelations you know when the original revelations as published in the book of commandments were heavily edited when it became the the book of doctrine and covenants um that was a a, a a point that lots of people uh, who are the purification guys don't like. Um, you know, again, when we change the high priesthood, when we when we organize the church, even what they end up deciding at this point is um, in the Warren Parish group is um, that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet, the whole was never a prophet, and that the Book of Mormon was is false. And so once once they get to that point, then Martin Harris, who is a member of this church. You know, he was on, he was on board with rolling things back a long way. But Martin Harris has a very powerful testimony in the Book of Mormon, and so he leaves at this point. And so the church essentially onions itself out of existence. It turns out if you can, you know, if you pull back all the onion, the uh, of uh, all the, the layers of an onion, there's nothing in the middle, right? And so the, that's kind of what happens to a lot of these churches if they can't find a um, if they can't find a, a a natural new place to stick, you know. So. Okay. So I was going to ask you one yeah. other question about uh, David Whitmer. So he would have been totally cool with Hiram Page. <laughs> um, so, what Hiram Page is his brother-in-law, right? And so the is it? Oh, I didn't so, realize so, that. So, so all of the witnesses that are, I mean, essentially, I think all the witnesses that are not Smiths are are Whitmers in the sense that Oliver Cowdery is also Whitmer's brother-in-law, right? And so, and so there, so essentially, the Whitmerites are the are the um, Whitmer family, and so and so I'm trying to think if Hiram Page or if it's somebody else. I, so the, by the end, when they reorganize the church, I don't think Hiram Page he might be dead. I don't know if he's part of it, but anyway, in any event, they um, right. um, people in that that family are there, and they are cool with different people getting revelations. I don't know how David Whitmer might have liked Hiram Page's revelations at the time. That was part of the problem was that some people liked it. <laughs> Right, and so so the problem was on the one hand right. that it contradicted Joseph Smith. It was a rival source of authority, and and it was and the fact is that a lot of people were thinking that they were legit, um, in other words, or just as legit as anything Joseph Smith was doing. And so therefore, um, and so maybe maybe David Whitmer would have been one of those. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So preservation. Joseph rest Joseph restored the fullness of the gospel. He was the prophet. We're here to just simply guard the flock until his return. Um, so, so in the case of Alphaeus Cutler and Lyman White, who we've talked about already in Manti, Iowa, and in uh, Zodiac, Texas, and other Texas colonies, respectively, um, Cutler and White, I think, don't actually make. Um, leadership claims of their own. In other words, they, they are simply 
um, princes of the Council of Fifty who were building up their own kingdoms and so forth. Uh, they are waiting till the end, you know, and uh, and 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 they're you know then without saying I'm the successor or anything like that. In other words, they have create they've got roles that have been given to them from the Council of Fifty, uh, Lyman White to establish uh, colonies of refuge in in Texas. Alphaeus Cutler uh, again claims he's got this uh, special commission to. Um, act in terms of the kingdom, preserving the kingdom in in the Council of Seven, according to him. But he also um, was had a special Indian mission that was also part of what the Cutlerites were doing in in the kind of Nebraska Kansas uh, area. And so, anyway, they're both kind of on the, doing their own thing. Likewise, I would say that Brigham Young is actually largely in this um, kind of camp, which is to say, he is not actively changing everything. <laughs> The main thing that Brigham Young does, and why I've made this orange here, is that he takes things that had been kind of the secret practices and inner Nauvoo, um, the high Nauvoo theology and temple practices and sealing and and so on, and he the endowment and brings those to everybody. So now um, it's not just a secret people in the know who are to practice polygamy. That's pretty much everybody. In other words, this is going to be what the, that's going to be what the church is about and, uh, under Brigham Young. Um, he doesn't, he's not as interested in the very last thing. So there, the council of 50, I don't think he has a particular um, sense of what this kingdom stuff was going to be. And, and so he continues to organize or he calls the council of 50 a couple times with himself as in charge, but it, it isn't ever central to what he is doing going forward. Um, and so in general, um, Brigham Young, uh, is not mostly adding. He's, he does have some of his own kind of ideas that, uh, like, for example, Adam God, um, uh, but may well be that that is just his attempt to make sense of some of Joseph Smith's last theological speculation about the nature of God and so forth. Okay. Okay. Do you think Joseph's taught Adam God or was it just Brigham? Well, so I think that Joseph definitely taught, um, uh, you know, even though the couplet, you know, uh, of the progression, eternal progression, plan of salvation, uh, theology is not necessarily something that he actually said, you know, as, uh, as you know, uh, God is, as, yeah, man once is, was, God as, was once. as God is, man will be. I mean, he did say, you know, in the, in the King Fall Discord or whatever, look, you know, I'll tell you the great secret, look in that, you know, yonder heaven or whatever, the God that is there is, you know, was once a man or something like that. You know, so he, the, the critical part of the, um, of, of his progression theology, which is, um, that God, or rather that the heavenly father is not God in a, um, traditional, uh, Abrahamic religions, uh, monotheism kind of way, which is to say eternally uh, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and, and so forth, the one in, in a monistic sense, because God can't be that if God is increasing in glory, because it's impossible to, you know, to have infinity plus one, nor it's it's not possible for that to be eternal if um, God at one point was a man, right? So in other words, a rejection of um monotheism is is native to joseph smith so then i think that in terms of the idea that adam is our god i think that's like brigham young's kind of understanding of it making sense of it i don't know i don't know if joseph smith said something that stuck that in his head or if he made it up himself 
Um, I, but I don't think that Joseph Smith taught that. I think that, um, I don't know how, I don't know how much Brigham Young went out of, on his own on that, or whether it's just his trying to make sense of, of, uh, Joseph's teaching more likely. Um, like I say, Strang, uh, Strang actually has his own really interesting take on this, which is, uh, which is rejecting the, um, embracing progression theology and embracing um, the uh, dis- the total uh, distinctiveness of the person is persons of God in in the Trinity. In other words, that the Father is an entirely separate being from the Son is entirely separate being from the Spirit. Strang keeps all of that, but he reasserts that the Father is God in a monotheistic sense, um, and that Jesus is in fact the first human who became exalted and became a God as opposed to the one God, a God. Uh, and, and that, and that set of, that set into play all of, uh, the internal salvation, the plan of exaltation where humans, um, can also become gods like Christ. Obviously there's not, there's a distinction there between the one eternal omnipotent omniscient God, but you can become still divine in that same kind of, uh, that other sense, separate sense. And so essentially that is a re-embrace of the early um, Christological position among early Christians in the first and second, third centuries of adoptionism, where essentially um, Christ is not God, but is adopted by God to be a divine son or something like that. In other words, he'd become a, he is a, uh, he's like, uh, that's what adoptionized him, right? <laughs> so, so that's, yeah, I I was surprised when Bill Shepard told me he thought that Jesus was the biological son of Joseph. I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you don't hear right, that Right, yeah, often. So that's, that's different from... Yeah. So Strang's understanding of that is different from Brigham Young's, right? Because Brigham Young's speculation is that um, that Jesus is the biological child of uh, whoever the Heavenly Father is, Adam. Adam. <laughs> you know, so... Adam, who is, all, who is also God. <laughs> so, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Interesting, yeah. Anyway, and then Joseph III doesn't have time for any of that and just goes back to saying no. <laughs> There's one, you know, in other words, the, we can, we're, we're good with the we're Trinity. With the Trinity. <laughs> so... No one understands it, but uh, it's there's reasons we don't get rid of it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, so preservation, and then finally innovation, right? And so there's a hymn uh, in the in the Nauvoo hymnal: "The church without a prophet is not a church for me." Uh, and as uh, in that time period where um, the twelve are, you know, between the between Joseph Smith's death and the reorganization of Brigham Young's first presidency, when the twelve are acting without a first presidency or as the first presidency of the Brighamite faction. Um, Strangite missionaries follow along the pioneer trail, <laughs> you know, and go to the to singing the church without a prophet is not a church for me. <laughs> you know, that's one of their their forays into doing their missionary work, trying to convert uh, what becomes Brighamites to Strang. Right. And so um, so right. Strang has new scripture, new revelations, new doctrines and so forth. He has new plates. His new plates have new witnesses. Those involve into new scripture. Um, one of the things that's amazing when you go and visit uh, the Strangites is you realize uh, how much, um, despite the fact that there have been many apostolic successors 
uh, to Brigham Young. I'm not sorry to Joseph Smith and, and from and Brigham through Brigham Young, uh, and and how they have all had the title prophet, seer, and revelator, including all of the apostles have had that title. Um, and many of them have been the president of the church. Nevertheless, none of them have had the kind of prophetic um, uh, imprint on the LDS tradition that the prophet Joseph Smith has had, right? And so, and I always kind of even say, you, if I say, you know, the prophet George, you don't immediately jump to George Albert Smith necessarily because nobody is thought of in that kind of way, the way the prophet Joseph is thought. And you, and you really get the sense of that right. when you go to Strangite church, because they literally have two prophets <laughs> and, and the, the, the second one, Joseph and, Smith and, and the prophet yeah. James did it the same as much as, as the prophet Joseph. Cause like I said, he's actually, uh, fixes progression theology. Um, he has cre he translates an entire, um, an entire additional book of scripture. So there's, you know, the fourth standard work, uh, you know, which is to say the book of the law, uh, the book of the law, um, brings it's, it's so Mormon and it brings, um, kind of this, this path, this trajectory that Mormonism has been on where, where, um, the old Testament times are actually understood to be Christian is all, is all kind of brought back together in the same way that all of these, um, Lamanites and um, and especially the Nephites were kind of proto-Christians way before Christ. You know, in the many centuries before Christ, um, the kind of the Book of the Law explains really that the the ancient Israelites also were in the same way because um, when the Ten Commandments are actually restored, um, they include um, uh, "Do unto others," right? So the golden rule is actually one of the Ten Commandments, but it was just simply lost because that uh, plain and precious things have been taken out of the Bible. And so, and so the, the covenant is actually um, more or less just renewed as opposed to ever different, right? So it's always been the same as it's been retrojected by Strang into, you know, biblical Old Testament times. And so it's it's really interesting stuff. <laughs> so, so these they're definitely two prophets. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you've got Charles Thompson on there. I'm trying to remember, and maybe I'm getting my names mixed up. One of James Strang's wives dressed up as a man, and I thought his name was went by the name. I thought it was Charles no, it's, Thompson. Um, no, it's it Charlie. Else. Do you remember? Char what's his name? Charlie <laughs> Douglas. Charlie. It's Douglas. not Thompson. Charlie, Charlie Douglas. Douglas? So that's Strang's wife. Okay, and that was it. Elvira, or was it a different wife? It's um. Eliza. And the and the reason why Eliza. I know Okay. So Eliza was Charlie Douglas. Charlie Douglas, Eliza. Okay. And so the reason why I know that is actually um here in Canada, uh uh we have a member, uh Eliza Smith, who is a direct descendant of Strang and Eliza. Yeah, so oh, really? so most all of the Strangites ended up joining the reorganization. So it's really only the reason why there's so few Strangites today is because um, they, Strang didn't appoint a successor. The, the existing people who have stayed in the movement have done so without having, you know, additional prophetic leadership. They're waiting for another prophet, but they have never had one. And so as a result, they were easy prey to um, reorganized missionaries, Josephite missionaries. And, and largely, actually Strang had even said that Joseph III would one day be a prophet. 
And so, um, and so there was a lot of reasons why most of them all joined. And so, yeah, there are, I don't, there are no Strang descendants in the Strangite church, just like there are no Cutlerite descendants in the Cutlerite church, but there's, I have lots of friends who are, who are actually descended from Cutlerites in the, in the community of Christ and same thing, um, who were descendants, from, I'm sorry, who descendants of Cutler in addition to Cutlerites. Um, and so, and there's also descendants of, uh, you know, of course, of, of Lyman White and also of James Strang in the, re, in the reorganization. The reorganization pulled all, mo the majority of all the non-Brighamite groups together. So Charles Thompson's okay. a different guy. <laughs> he also, um, he has another, his own revelations and things like that. So he's known as Benimi. And he has this kind of uh, doing this oracle. He gets everybody to move to uh, Western Iowa where um, they're going to have a communitarian settlement. So he gets everybody to essentially sign over all their property to him. Um, but then everybody gets very angry uh, with his leadership and they want their money back. And so they, they sue him and so forth and the whole thing collapses. Uh, and so most of the Thompsonites also end up, who stay in the church anyway, also end up joining the reorganization then. Uh, so it collapses in 1858 and uh, the reorganization really takes off in 1860. So, um, And then likewise, okay. uh, Joseph Morris then is a, um, a convert who is, uh, uh, claims the prophetic gift uh, in Utah. And so he starts to, you know, issue you know, his own prophecies and things like that. Um, it, he becomes a, not a major challenger, but a bit of a, a, a mess for the regular, the mainline Brighamite church, because again, um, this is something that, that this kind of the idea of new prophecy, new revelation and things like that. This is something that's really kind of absent from what's happening in, in Utah. In other words, that's not, that's not the, the kind of court more, um, apostolic led structure that's happening. And so people who are attracted to that start kind of uh, gathering around him. And so that becomes, you know, the church of the firstborn, the Morisites. Um, the Morisites are, uh, where are they up? Is it like Weaver? Where is like, uh, anyway, they're Ogden or something like that. And so they, they, they gather, they gather oh, there and, uh, and they're in kind of a, they have their own kind of like a homestead or a fort and things like that. And the Mormon militia attacks them and massacres them. Uh, and so most of them don't make it. And uh, some of them, though, survive as refugees. Um, one of the apostles, Mark Forskett, be ends up joining the reorganization and becomes a, an important um, uh, member of the church leadership who's in involved with like a lot of the hymnody. So he made one of our really important hymn hymnals in the late 19th century. But others of them scatter. So they go to they go to Montana and they go to um, Walla Walla. <laughs> Washington, kind of the Northwest and things like that. The Morrisites, Morrisite groups continue into the 1960s when they go extinct. They've got like a, the, the group in, in Walla Walla is kind of famous because the leader there prophesied that, um, I'm trying to think how the order of it is, but that, that Jesus was going to be reborn again and prophesied that his, his son, you know, and so when his wife has a baby that that kid is then understood by the community to be Jesus. So he's called, you know, the Walla Walla Jesus is what people call, call him or whatever. And then the next one for the next <laughs> kid, um, I think it's that his, the God, the father is going to be born. And so the little, the little brother, I think is God, the father or something like that. So anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a crazy tragic story. I think that the, I don't think the kids live to adulthood, but anyway, that, that, um, and, and so the, and the Morrisites, 
Um, anyway, they're extinct now. But the point of it was, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the point of it was new prophecies, new innovation, that kind of thing. <laughs> so. Do they tie in with Strang at all then, or they're just new innovators? No, no, they're 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 from the the Morisites are from the um, Brighamite tradition, so they're coming out of that. Okay. Thompson Thompson might have been a was probably had been a Strangite if I'm remembering right. So several of the you know so so the at a certain point you know the original. Kind of big groups were originally the the twelveites, the twelve before Brigham Young um, reorganizes and becomes the Brighamites, and then the Rigdonites. But Rigdon's church and movement collapses fairly early, and so then the big two groups are Strangite and and Brigden, Brighamite. And so at some point or other, most people will have had an affiliation with one group or the other. Although some some people, you know, claim at least that they held aloof, like Emma and her sons. And um, maybe Hedrick, although I think it's completely possible that Hedrick had been kind of semi-affiliated with Strangites and then later the Brighamites, maybe. But anyway, you know, they're they're their own independent branch that has continuity back to the early church, anyway. Okay. There's another okay. polygamous group called Church of the Firstborn. Is that Fred Collier? Yes. I can't remember. Well, it's a name that's in Scripture, and so people. People sometimes, some of these have echoes, you know, and so there's a, so since that's somewhere in the, in the, in the tradition, then it's a name that people launch onto. Um, so it's very common to have churches of Christ, of course, or church of Jesus Christ. Lots the of the churches are called church to this day is called the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, um, yeah. there's, you know, people sometimes then keep attaching more words onto that, like reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or <laughs> fundamental church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or Pentecostal church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> so, but then, you know, sometimes people get creative, you know, <laughs> so Zion, I'm sorry, Jehovah's Presbytery of Zion. That's great. <laughs> you know, yeah, in other words, definitely original. I would not recognize that as a Mormon church. So, right. <laughs> okay. So we've talked a lot about these already, but I'm just going to try these out a little bit. So as I would, I would just kind of call these as um, when we're talking about all the different groups, um, they're divided kind of broadly into all the churches that emerged uh, before Joseph Smith's death. And then all the ones that have emerged from Joseph Smith's death onward, um, all the churches from before Joseph Smith's death are extinct. So like the Hinkleites and all those kind of guys, William Law's Reform Mormon Church, that those don't continue to exist. The Warren Parish's church and so forth. There's no, no, no none of that. But in order then of when they reorganize uh, presidencies, groups that continue to exist are the Rigdonites, the Strangites, the Brighamites, the Cutlerites, Josephites, where Joseph is Joseph the Third, not Joseph Junior, and Hedrickites. And then there are other groups that are also extinct. And so we've talked about a lot of those, like the. Um, the Whiteites and uh, the Whitmerites. Yeah. So, Rigdonites. We've already talked about um, uh, a bunch of these, right? So, so on the first place um, after then the Nauvoo Church with uh, Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, Hiram Smith as the first presidency. Um, from that group, Sidney Rigdon relocates to Pittsburgh. Um, the Hinkleites actually, and the William Laws Church kind of affiliate with Sidney Rigdon. Like I say, Sidney Rigdon's church sort of becomes the 
uh, as an organization becomes the main opposition group to Brigham Young and the 12. So anybody who doesn't like them kind of says, okay, we'll, we'll make common cause with Sidney Rigdon. And so he kind of absorbs them all up. Uh, as we mentioned, his church totally unravels because of their um, both unpeeling the onion and not deciding where to go. And when they decide where to go, it's to have all things in common, which doesn't work. And so, so Sidney Rigdon's um, church organization, there's branches that continue to meet. Um, one of his very last apostles that he had called in his structure, uh, William Bickerton, um, is kind of a leader of one of the congregations. And then when um, Brigham Young and Dram Strang have both publicly um, announced that they, you know, um, so Brigham Young had always been private, publicly denying that they, that they practiced polygamy. James Strang had initially been a major opponent of polygamy before he embraced it openly. Um, at that point, William Bickerton reorganizes uh, the Rigdonite Church as the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, which continues to this day. Uh, I might not even have the most recent leader of the 12, but they are, uh, they're led by then a council of 12. They pull back to, I've got this as blue, but it's kind of like a blue-green, an early kind of Kirtland-style church because they have apostles, but they have eliminated um, other kinds of offices like first presidency, things that are not biblical. Um, and they are also among the churches, for example, that agree with David Whitmer that changes to the Book of Commandments, Revelations, um, were, were wrong. So they don't like the Doctrine and Covenants. They don't consider that to be part of their uh, thing. They, um, they're the kind of church that does everything by, uh, by the Spirit, as it's called. So in other words, in the same way that LDS people, Brighamites, generally speaking, will not... Um, like do a pre-written prayer and then just read a prayer. You tend to pray um, from the spirit or whatever. In other words, orally composing your prayer as you speak. But you will tend to write. You're going to be talk. You tend to write the talk down and read a talk uh, at church. So they don't believe in writing the talks down. <laughs> so so you got to give the talks the same way that you give um, prayers, which is by the spirit. They, I mean, I've been to the church. Like you say, you're going to have fun when you go there. They also, I think, often don't believe in writing a bulletin down. So in other words, <laughs> the presider of the service, you know, will by the spirit decide what's the next thing. And they'll say, Brother Rick, do you feel, um, do you feel, you know, called to come up now and give a talk on tithing? <laughs> he might give you the topic. He might not. And then, you, and then you're kind of like, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do feel called to do that. And then you got to give up and give a talk on tithing. You know? Oh, you know. They wouldn't okay. have a non-member do that, would they? Well, I was scared that they were going to when I was there at a certain point because I had never been in a, a service like this. And so, and so, they, so everybody kept on getting called to do things, you know, including musical numbers and all this and that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, because it was it very much kept me on my toes more than um, any, <laughs> any 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 normal church service. There's a lot of uh, Restoration churches are good at making very boring services, and uh, I. I I'm going to say that in my view, the LDS church is pretty high on that list. <laughs> but, but that is not true for the Church of Jesus Christ. You are, you are on your toes, you know, and you don't know how long this is going to last. You don't know what's going to happen next, <laughs> to my view. Anyway, and so, um, so I was concerned that they were going to call on me, and I was like, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Because so I, 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 I have to be, I'm kind of a planner. I don't like to. <laughs> anyway, they didn't call on me. But it was a, it was a very vigorous and spirit spirit led uh, thing. They've had an interesting thing. So in the last generation, um, I think the lady just passed away, but a a, a member of the church uh, 
actually uh, received by revelation an entire hymnal. Arlene so they Buffington. have Arlene Buffington. Yeah. So they have their own hymnal <laughs> that is kind of all kind of uh, in a kind of more contemporary style, uh, just filled with um, church distinctive hymns uh, that are really and it's brand new, right? And so it's really it's really kind of amazing in that way. And then they and they have some of the Kirtland era practices like um, like feet washing that other people don't do. So it's a very interesting group. And uh, like I say, they're off on their own. Uh, they're the one and only true church and they don't have time for the rest of us. <laughs> don't call them Mormons. A lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> the neatest thing that's happened though um, is, is, uh, is that, yeah, don't call them Mormons. But yeah, the neatest thing that's happened to them recently is that um, for the very first time, so we, the, the community of Christ tradition is, is substantial in the sense of much bigger than this, right? And, and has also had uh, its own university. You know, in other words, we, the, as of the, the third prophet of the church actually had a PhD. So in other words, the people that has had educated people, you know, and, uh, and has produced its own historians and so forth. Um, the LDS Church, of course, has all kinds of people with PhDs and its own historians and things like that. Um, this is the very first time any of the other groups, you know, has had a native son, you know, be able to have, you know, be trained in history academically, uh, has a PhD in history and now has produced, you know, the, this, um, uh, you know, William Bickerton biography and hopefully now more histories of the church. And, and it's just amazingly good. So this is the, this, there's lots of exciting things happening with the Church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Daniel Stone you're talking about. Yeah, he's awesome. Daniel Stone, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, Brighamites. Um, what do we got Part here? One. So, uh, <laughs> so, obviously, like I say, the way I'm kind of distinct to this, so when I'm doing circles here, I'm just showing different stages. I'm trying to do this because I'm trying to avoid saying that um, different groups, schisms are breakoffs, right? So everybody, in a sense, has continuity going back at some line or other and how they got there. And so obviously there is a mainline bulk of all of the membership here, you know, that is going from Joseph, Sidney Rigdon, and Hiram as a first presidency in Nauvoo to the 12 who are leading the church, the head according to their church in Canesville at Council Bluffs, the um, winter quarters and so on to the new first presidency that's reorganized with Brigham Young, Heber Kimball, and Willard Richards with the new headquarters at Salt Lake. Uh, and that continues onward and we'll see the future ones. And so then I'm from there kind of pulling when there's additional divisions. And so I have Joseph Morris here um, off of the Brigham Young era church as one of those. We already talked about the Morrisites. Another, um, another uh, church that emerged during the Brigham Young period is um, another kind of intellectual and more, let's say, it's not progressive, let's, uh, progressive, I don't know, if, maybe, broadly saying on the left, um, uh, um, break off or, or, I'm sorry, new expression that emerged from the Brigham Young era church was led by William Godby. And so essentially these are people who want to um, make Mormonism more respectable and who want to get rid of uh, some of the what they see as the more backward practices and things like that. And they are prepared to make kind of common cause with the non-Mormon community, the Salt Lake Tribune type, type people in, in, in the Deseret Territory, the state of Utah Territory and so forth. But it doesn't have a lot of legs. It doesn't really go anywhere. Um, and I also mentioned on this chart here where the, where from, from the 12, how the Cutlerites and the Whiteites um, are not in favor of that reorganization with Brigham Young and the first presidency. And so they're together in that kind of 
interregnum period, but then have, have left. <clears throat> and then I'm also putting on here, so you talked, we already talked a little bit of that Council of Seven, that Council of Friends, this idea that while in um, hiding from the, from the U.S. federal government, while the U.S. federal government is, is massively cracking down on the LDS Church in order to try to break both the Utah theocracy and also more especially polygamy, um, that, that John Taylor uh, is in hiding receiving revelations like uh, God that's sort of saying, how can I um, end a, an everlast, a new and everlasting covenant? So the celestial or plural marriage is a new and everlasting covenant. And so how can I revoke an everlasting covenant? And so the idea of it is in the fundamentalist tradition that, um, that Taylor sets aside certain people that if the church, as he would say, goes into apostasy, if it fails to keep the principle alive that certain priesthood members uh, outside of the, the church will be able to, to be called to continue to have the practice. And so that is that break and it has Lauren Woolley there in the Council of, of Friends in that sense before then Wilford Woodruff and the manifesto, this, the first manifesto, right? Okay. Okay, and then that takes us then <clears throat> to from, from Lauren Woolley and then um, others, this is kind of the, just a basic overview of the earlier fundamentalist um, Mormon split. And so among, uh, there's a kind of a, its own group are the LeBarons. So the LeBarons have kind of their own line that they kind of trace it back. They're not part of that John Taylor part, but they, um, they're an old traditional group that um, anyway is one of the main fundamentalist groups, even though they don't come from the same same exact, uh, they don't draw their history the same way. But out of that council, there are, um, you know, kind of several main strains. So one of them being, um, like we, the most famous one that people are aware of, like you say, is the, is the you know, the Short Creek group, um, which uh, has become the FLDS church under Warren Jeffs, all whose numbers are quite um, down, as you were pointing out, because of all of the um, craziness of his, uh, administration. Um, so for example, in Canada, so what I'm doing here is showing again, circle ones are on the chart are kind of historic iterations of which now there are these kind of current ones that are in stars, right? And so Warren Jeffs is still kind of leading an FLDS group that's kind of a rump group. And there's several groups that have emerged from that. So there's the Centennial Park that group, um, which is named for the, the settlement that's just south of Short Creek. There's uh, the Blackmore group, which is the Canadian um, uh, former FLDS group. Does that go group. through LeBaron? Because it shows you going through LeBaron for those. No, this is coming from, no, the LeBarons are their own line at this at the top, right? So you can see it's okay. a separated line. So the Church of the Firstborn is that, that Oh, LeBaron. I see. I'm following a different line. Okay. And the, and the, and the Lord... The Lauren Woolley group, the Council of Friends, has kind of these three major branches, which are the AUB, the FLDS, and then the Kingston group, right? And so, and those have continued. So the 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 AUB, the Apostolic United Brethren, is the biggest one of those at this point. And so that's the group that has the um, uh, at the south of, at the point of the mountain has that kind of big. Um, I don't know if it's a temple, maybe it is. <laughs> so big, big. Well. Very, <laughs> Go ahead. I don't know where it is because it's in like Bluffdale and they say it's an endowment house. The temple is actually in Mexico, they said. There's a temple in Mexico. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Then that's an endowment house then. So anyway, so yeah, there's a big 
I, it looks like a multi-purpose building, a stake center or something like that. I mean, the Mormon church has been making stake centers into temples too. When I was a kid, I went to the, um, the multi-purpose building in Manhattan and that's a temple now, right? So right. anyway, so maybe maybe it's a temple. But anyway, maybe whatever it is. But they, I've been to that building, and I've been to the church there. And so it is. Um, it's amazing because it's it's kind of huge, and you get a huge number of people uh, coming to that. So that's. I uh, want to know where it is. I don't. I'm not sure where it is. You know roughly where it is? I'm sure I could find it um, just using Google. I'm, we could find the address of it, but I mean, yeah, okay. I'm sure you could find it using Google Maps by looking at it. It, it is a very stark looking building it's not it's not pretty <laughs> so i would this is my there's my my architecture part here you guys have a big church build build a pretty temple <laughs> so, so. <laughs> anyway that's my this is my what i advocate for everybody so yeah so the aub um is probably the biggest then uh, at yeah. this point but then the, and then and then the um the Kingston's maybe are the richest. I don't know. So I don't really know the details that, you know, the, but, but anyway, there's a bunch of different, you know, the fundamentalist groups that are now, um, not all are the Kingston's in like Manti area. Is that right? So I, so I don't really know where everybody is. I'm not as much, a, I have to tell you that I am as, um, I am more familiar with all of the other groups than I am with Brighamites. And so this is kind of, a. Uh, I, I don't actually, I haven't actually been around. I mean, I've been to Short Creek several times and I've, um, I've met with XFLDS people a lot. Um, I've talked to, um, you know, Blackmore. I've been to the headquarters of the TLC church in Manti. Um, so where I have not met with the Kingstons and so I don't know them. Uh, I've been to the, I've been to the AUB endowment house in like you say, Bluffdale or whatever it is. And, and so, so in other words, I have seen, I've been to this bunch of it, but I, I don't know all of these as well as I know, for example, the Cutlerites, the Hedrickites, the Bickertonites and the Strangites, especially. Right. right. Um, anyway, not everybody there's, there's a bunch of, there's always new, uh, there's always new fundamentalists or in other words, new people who, um, it's like the true and living church in Manti TLC church, true and living church of Jesus Christ of saints of the last days. Um, what ends up happening a lot of times is if you if you come with the premise that um, that Brigham Young and and John Taylor and and so on are all prophets just like Joseph Smith is and that they you know the things that they preach um, are a revelation from God then you can get into a lot of danger if you read what they said <laughs> so so what can happen is is that um, let's say you have a study group in Utah and you get a hold of the Journal of Discourses and you just start reading, you know, Brigham Young speeches and so forth, uh, you know, then suddenly you you get acquainted with doctrines like Adam God, you get doc acquainted with other um, Mormon fundamentals that have been uh, abandoned by later church presidents and so forth. Uh, and, and among those is polygamy that they are pretty serious about, you know, and that, that is like the defining thing that they're not intending to give up and so forth. And so it doesn't take that long. And when you're having a study group like that, it's quite dangerous. As I always say, you know, you're, you're like a, you know, you're a month, you know, you're potentially two or three months away from um, being in a different church and having your wife be married to your friends, you know, who's the new leader and that kind of a thing, you know, in other words, that, that kind of thing happens a fair amount, you know? And so there's new ones that are kind of can be formed all the time, uh, from the LDS church directly. Would, uh, the Peterson group be a break off of rule and all red, would you say? 
Um, so, so remind me that I'm just trying to think of which one the predestined group is. Christchurch. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I think that they are right. So I think that they're pulling it out of that. And I, I know, and I know members of that in the seventies, they've been very active in Sunstone and things like that. And when I made this chart, I made this way before that happened. And so, and they are the ones with the pyramid temple. Right. Right. And so, no, they're a very interesting group and I need to put them on the chart. I apologize to the members of, uh, of the Peterson group and to the church that I haven't put you on this chart. I'm going to, I promise for the next one. Okay. <laughs> the next time I do this. <laughs> All right. Um, Anyway, there's so many more that you could do because the, obviously the Brighamite group is the biggest, right? So I just also mentioned that we should be also bringing in, um, you know, the church is now international, right? And so there are all kinds of, um, there are all kinds of, you know, like if technically maybe more members of the restoration now live outside of the United States than inside the United States, right? And so, and so, the, but the international church gets so much ignore being ignored so much, <laughs> but in fact, actually, in places, for example, like Mexico, um, it's very has been very well established, and there was a group uh, in the 20th century uh, called the Third Convention uh, that broke for a time uh, with the LDS Church. So, in other words, it had been members of the LDS Church, but were upset with kind of a, um, let's say, American-centric. U.S. centric uh, leadership and other upset over, um, you know, a local local control and so forth. Most of those people or half of those people moved back into the LDS Church, but a whole bunch of them also stayed. They they affiliated instead then with the AUB. And then we were talking about how the AUB has a temple in Mexico. That's because this group uh, was down there, and that so that nucleus of the of the Third Convention became part of the AUB. Um, oh, there's been. There's been other, um, uh, you know, like other, you can also have, you know, like let's say uh, groups that emerge from the left. So uh, Antonio Felice and the Restoration Church of Jesus Christ in the 80s and I think 90s, you know, were created essentially a gay church. Um, So for Mm. Mormons, gay men who were, um, you know, discriminated against, who were in in the LDS church and still would be, um, they created their own, you know, church structure. Um, that's not doesn't exist anymore. Actually, lots of the people who had been in um, leadership of that have either sometimes flirted with, sometimes joined, and are now members in Community of Christ. Um, but uh, for a while, they had a couple congregations and were functioning. And then the most, you know, kind of the kind of biggest thing that has emerged actually since I first made this presentation is the Remnant Fellowship movement, fellowships movement. So Denver Snuffer and the associated. Um, groups who are just kind of a, um, it's not a left-wing um, movement, but what it is is an anti, um, anti-corporate movement. And so as the LDS church has, has continued to correlate and has continued to be more and more sort of um, centrally controlled and maybe more organized in terms of uh, a more, you know, anyway, as opposed to the people remembering anyway, let's say the more... Um, I don't know, roadshowy, the more, more Mormonism made by Mormons, and then also wanting individual spiritual gifts, even that Hiram Pagey kind of stuff where everybody has got receiving their own revelation. I think the remnant fellowship movement kind of um, appeals to people who want to have kind of that more local spiritualism and, and kind of dynamism in that kind of a sense. And so it's actually spread kind of 
um, pretty substantially, although not 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 huge compared to the people who continue to be part of the main institution. So, mm -hmm. so um, as I mentioned, you know, we have priesthood, the restoration of priesthood, the restoration of church, the restoration of kingdom in 1829, 1830, and then 1844, respectively. So the Strangites are among the people who were serious about the kingdom part. <laughs> and so Strang himself sure. is uh, emulates uh, Joseph Smith, who is um, at the end of his life, king of the kingdom of God on earth. Strang is similarly um, has that uh, a coron a, a takes that title but he it does so much more theatrically and so he's actually it has involves a ceremonial he has an actual coronation ceremony and so forth and so he's much more famous as a king than uh than joseph smith um but anyway the kingdom is something that was made quite literal um by james strang on beaver island um, james strang uh like joseph smith was also assassinated or martyred and so different um, Strangite groups emerged both before and after that. Uh, William Smith, who had um, initially tried to uh, become the presiding patriarch over the church in Nauvoo and was kind of um, and uh, was kind of recognized as patriarch by Brigham Young to the church, not <laughs> not patriarch of the church. William Smith wanted patriarch over the church. <laughs> um, he later is able to get when 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 Brigham Young breaks with him and says, "You're patriarch of nothing. You're, get out of here." You know. So when 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 William Smith has to flee Nauvoo, he later writes to Strang and says, "Hey, maybe um, maybe I'm patriarch over your church." And name Strang's like you are patriarch of the church, <laughs> you know? So anyway, so he's patriarch of the church for a while, but then William Smith, who has been secretly practicing polygamy, um, gets in trouble with Strang, who is an anti-polygamist originally, and so he then gets kicked out of, uh, of the church. He founds his own church, and so, uh, and, and then William Smith gets in trouble because he's also secretly practicing polygamy in his own church. He gets caught, and then they, his own church kicks him out for that. <laughs> And so one of the, uh, William Smith's apostles, Jason Briggs, then um, ha has a revelation that we have to stop following all these factional leaders. We have to wait for Joseph Smith's son to um, emerge as, you know, and receive a calling and old, grow up enough to become the president of the church. And so in that sense, um, William Smith's church, which is um, headquarters in a little town, a settlement called Palestine Grove, which later is replaced uh, when the railroads come through by a town called Amboy. It's later in 1860, in April 6th in Amboy, that the first conference of the reorganization happens. And it's no coincidence that it happens at William Smith's old church headquarters. So in other words, that's kind of where the nucleus of the, the that reorganization group happens. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, I'd already mentioned the Thompsonites. So Thompson also had been a Strangite before he um, became a prophet himself and led those people to Iowa uh, and tried to get a hold of all their property. Uh, meanwhile, uh, George J. Adams, who had been a Williamite and later stayed with Strang, was one of the presidents of Strang's Council of Elders. He was one of his, he's the guy who was a, a former um, actor and had been in the theater in Boston and so forth. He's the one who kind of arranged the ceremonies like the coronation ceremony after Strang's death. He ends up um, reorganizing his own faction of the church in Maine, where he convinces everybody uh, that they need to go and physically restore old Israel. And so they build like a bunch of um, prefabricated main um, houses, which they load onto a boat, they take to the Ottoman Empire, <laughs> 
they land in Jaffa. They create the what's called the American colony in Jaffa, um, and they almost all starve to death and they can't because they've been not expecting what Palestine now Israel is like climate-wise, and they weren't ready for any of this. And uh, anyway, and so and so this is a a subject of a Mark Twain. Um, a story called Innocence Abroad, where he goes and he finds these uh, essentially uh, what he considers to be deluded, you know, Adamsite, Strangite Mormons living in oh. in the Ottoman Empire in Palestine, uh, and and you know it kind of narrates you know he's kind of thinks that religious fervor Mark Twain is you know satirical about religious fervor, <laughs> he had things to say about the Book of Mormon as you know as well, <laughs> and the Book of Mormon witnesses. <laughs> Everybody yeah. loves the chloroform in print line, but I. But my favorite line is, is when he's looking at the list of witnesses. Witnesses, he says, "You know, I couldn't be more uh, uh, satisfied and at and at rest uh, with the testimony of the witnesses. Had the entire Whitmer family testified, <laughs> in other words, so in other words, <laughs> just those Whitmers. You know, he's like he's totally he's totally on board with this witness list. <laughs> you know, but anyway. So anyway, so Mark Twain also." encounters though these Adamsites. And so most of the Adamsites again are, are ultimately um, gathered into the reorganization. The reorganization actually has a um, has Palestine and um, branches in the 20th century, including a school in in Jerusalem. and there's still a historic site, the, um, the, the, uh, the, uh, the house that they, they have in, in Jaffa now Tel Aviv. So it's essentially um, one of the things that actually did precipitate a literal gathering, you know, to that zone. And Whoa. and I've actually had here at Toronto, in my congregation here in downtown Toronto in Center Place, I've actually had a rabbi come and say, Are, is this church, Community of Christ, is this the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And and I said, yes. And he says, so so I want I wanted to come and thank you because of the... Uh, the Jaffa colony, <laughs> you know, and, and so, and so I was like, you know, I was like, do you know that story? And I'm like, yeah, I know that story. I'm surprised you know that story. <laughs> so it was, it was a very, it was a very interesting um, experience, but yeah, we have, um, there's some books about, um, in addition to the Mark Twain book, there's some books about essentially Latter-day Saints in, um, in Palestine, in Israel because of, uh, because of that experience. So just one of the wow. interesting, quirky stories. <laughs> um, then what ended up happening is so the main group that stayed in the Strangite Church were led by one of the remaining apostles, Lorenzo Hickey. Um, Hickey um, had two things that going against him as the leader. So Strang, in his book of scripture, the book of the law of the Lord, because his rival is Brigham Young in the 12, Strang makes it very clear in the law, the restored Ten Commandments and the rest of the of the law of Levitical law and everything like that. It says the twelve have no authority to appoint um, a prophet. So, in other words, if the prophet dies, if the twelve try to appoint a prophet, that would be apostasy because the lesser office cannot appoint a greater office. If you run out of um, elders in your congregation, the, the the priest can't appoint a new elder. And so Strang says that very clearly. So that so all Strang's apostles. Uh, look around and they say, well, we don't have any authority to appoint a new leader. And then Lorenzo Hickey tells a really crazy story where he says, Strang, uh, when Joseph III was a, a boy, Strang went to his house in Nauvoo, crept in the window, ordained him to be his successor, and left. <laughs> and so as a result of this, this 
thing, most of the Strangites end up joining the reorganization, but some of them, including Hickey and then another major disciple, Wingfield Watson, you know, continued to be true to Strang because um, Joseph Smith III, even though he accepted all the Strangites into the church, into the reorganization, he did not um, retroactively legitimize Strang. Strang is a, a factional leader who led people astray. So none of his stuff made it in to the reorganization. Uh, so people who were true to everything Strang did, um, you know, have have kind of continued to this day. Um, they are there. There's effectively one strong congregation back in Wisconsin now, in uh, Burlington, Wisconsin, Vorey, uh, and uh, and then there's scattered Strangites in addition to that. Um, and there continue to be a very um, kind of a living dynamic group. They can they convert new people, and so I think they're. Um, you know, they're not, they're, unlike the Cutlerites who are, you know, kind of on life support, um, they, they could go on indefinitely because they really have been just about this size for over a century. So, Because hmm. uh, it seems like there's, uh, well, John Hayacek, I guess, is an independent Strangite, and then right. there's uh, Alexei Matanovich, I think that's his name. Yes, so he there's claims some... to be a Strangite apostle, which kind of flies in the face of there's no more apostles, right? Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's independents and then neo-Strangites. In other words, people who like Strang stuff and who, who have decided that they're either the church or that they're the true successor and not the Strangite church, which is, you know, so in other words, this is a new other Strangite group so the, or individuals, really. And there's one... Um, uh, West, who uh, had was in correspondence with, you know, some uh, people in Africa, and so uh, and has met with them. I think in certain, like, has gone and gone over there a couple times. So one of the things that can also happen in Africa is that once, um, let's say, once there's a local congregation that is kind of Christian and then also affiliated with the Restoration, they can sometimes do um, headquarters shopping. Uh, and so they'll call up the the RLDS Church or the Community of Christ and say, "Hey, if you support us, we'll be your congregation here in in you know uh, in Kenya or something." And and they'll also call up the Remnant Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and say the same thing, or the Strangite Church. And so so there was a sense at a certain point, uh, and at least claimed that there were a significantly more let's say African Strangites than there are part of the mainline Strangite Church based on like the kind of activities of independent Strangite uh, leaders who are in communication with African churches. So I don't really know, you know, so it's hard to say in those kind of cases um, how, how, how much that identity has, has held in any of the African congregations, for example. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Cutlerites. <laughs> so uh, the Cutlerites also had uh, the unfortunate, uh, uh, I don't know. The unfortunate uh, thing of having Josephite missionaries find them. So, so m almost everybody, um, including Cutler's descendants, ended up uh, in in Iowa. Ended up joining into the reorganization. But there was one group um, under uh, Clyde Fletcher, who, or, I'm sorry, under Chauncey Whiting, who um, said, "Okay, we got to get away from these uh, reorganites. We got to get away from these Josephites." And so he had a vision to. Um, to go and settle the church in Minnesota. So they go up to the frontier, the Minnesota, Minnesota's just had a, a massive Indian uprising. And so, and so they go to um, uh, a part of the 
of the place where there aren't any settlers and they cr create their new headquarters there. Um, and they live there and, and they're doing all the kind of cutlerite stuff, which includes um, a Nauvoo era endowment. And um, it also includes like uh, a United Order kind of thing. So sharing property. Um, and so they, they, they go up and have, you know, are, are kind of relive what they were, had been doing in Iowa there. But the problem is that then the RLDS church finds them up there too. And so, and so again, they lose half the people as they all start joining the, um, the reorganization. Um, some of the people that are left decide that they need to to, um, they need to, uh, gather back to independence. And so for a while, there's essentially two congregations, one in Minnesota and one in Missouri. And for a time, they're not really on full speaking terms. And so I kind of draw them here as kind of different, but eventually they kind of go together and or the Minnesota branch dies out kind of. And so they're now left with, and actually it's, I'm going to replace who's the leader here, but anyway, they're, um, um, they're now, um, uh, they're now left with just a handful of people that are, are, are in the Cutlerite headquarters that is just south of where the temple lot is in Independence. Right. Right, yeah. And I always say there's actually more Mormon grad students camped around the Cutlerite in, uh, compound than there are Cutlerites because there's so many people who are obsessed with finding out what the Cutlerites do in terms of the Nauvoo era endowment or whatever the Cutlerite endowment is like, and the Cutlerites won't tell them. And so anything that's a secret, people want to know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, always I think there's only people, like 10 to 12 of them left. Right, exactly. Or less even, you know, and so the, and so the, um, I always tell people there's so many other really interesting, um, uh, groups and you should go study one of them, <laughs> you know, cause there's a lot of people, you know, studying Cutlerites, but anyway, uh, but, but certainly that's, they're an interesting group. So. I think the youngest Cutlerite is in his thirties, so they're probably going to be around for a, a while, while at yeah. least, especially if he continues on. Well, they could, yeah. So in other words, they can last indefinitely because they've been very small for a long time. Right. So like you say, if the yeah. youngest one is in his thirties, if he marries, he has kids and they stay in the church, you know, there you go. You're, you're another generation. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, most of them are pretty old though, but yeah. Yeah. And so part of the problem is, um, you know, part of the problem is, is when you have like just kind of shared church property, converting is not you know, letting somebody in is a is problem, right? You know, because they at a certain point, it might be a person who's coming in to, to have access to the property or whatever, right? And so, um, anyway, so this is a it, it's a complicated when you have been a church that has has been burned a few times uh, when you have had con new converts and then. Sorry, it kicked me out. So, uh, the, this is a problem that the Cutlerites have, for example, that the Strangites don't have, right? So the Strangites are able to um, have lots of new converts and invite people in uh, who are who are interested in being part of their community without having to have this um, extra layer of sharing property together and so forth. So, okay, let's get to the next one here. There, can you, did that slide change? It did, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I make this diagram to kind of show the evolution of temple practice as, uh, in the LDS tradition, right? So in Kirtland, um, the area in the church is set aside for, uh, in the lower, in the lower um, um, 
court as assembly worship. Above that is education, and on the top floor is headquarters. Um, and so there isn't actually people like who, Mormon who come to the Kirtland Temple say, well, where's the baptismal font? Where are the, you know, they imagine that the upper rooms in the attic are used for an endowment, but it was the uh, Nauvoo endowment, you know, obviously hadn't been created yet. And so there's right. a difference in the um, structure, although we still have that same structure in Nauvoo of, which is a little odd of having essentially two courts on top of each other in the original Nauvoo Temple, not in the replica. There's only one court. <laughs> In the uh, in the new temple, uh, but in the original it would have. Oh, again there is had... a court. I don't remember seeing the court in the new temple. Yeah, yeah. There's an wonder... there's an for assembly worship. It's in the first floor. Oh, okay. It's it's smaller, so it's not um, it's not a full size. Like so, the original one, it would have just been almost all of the almost all of the real estate in it would have been taken up for the same kind of thing, like in Kirtland, where you know it would just have been that lower court and upper court which would again for assembly worship and education. And so the difference of it is that um, there's a mezzanine level because the Nauvoo Temple is so much bigger that there's a mezzanine level and that's where the offices are. So that's kind of the headquarters offices that have been in the attic of the um, Kirtland Temple. And then in the basement, they have now a font with the, with the oxen and so forth in Nauvoo. And then there is a space set aside for um, the endowment rooms and so forth, and also rooms for sealing um, up in the attic. And so essentially, um, the Nauvoo Temple then has both that Kirtland stuff and the things that um, LDS people kind of associate most with temples now. Um, and some of that is is true in the Salt Lake uh, temple where they still have one of those big assembly. They don't have the education. They don't have a second one of those and lots more space is given over to kind of the endowment and ceiling and so forth um, section. Whereas if you get to um, the kind of a standard planned temple, uh, you know, one of the little ones, obviously they don't have an assembly. What you call an endowment house? <laughs> what I was calling an endowment house because I don't see that <laughs> as being a, a significant enough building and it doesn't have all the things that the temple needs. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but you can so, see why. Because the you newer going... temples, like, there's a new one coming here in Saratoga Springs, probably in the springtime they'll have an open house, I'm guessing. And yeah. um, they would, it would be kind of, I mean, it's it's big. It's, it's as big, big as, the, like, the Tipanogos Temple. Um, I guess we're getting rid of all the cafeterias. We don't have that anymore. Um, and I hear there's only one. I hear Salt Lake is going to have two baptismal fonts. Saratoga's only got one. I know that. Uh, or at least that's what I've heard. I haven't been in it yet. But uh, it's it's just like the small standard 21st century LDS temples. And in, in, in the fact that there's no really assembly right. worship and that sort well, of thing. That's not, that's not even being used anymore, right? You know, so in other words, even though there is one of those in the, in the, in the Washington, D.C. temple, I don't, how often is that used? And there's a big room. You know, I've heard, I've heard anecdotally that, like, sometimes they'll have uh, zone conferences for missions in the, in the temple, uh, oh. like the D.C. temple. Uh, but I don't. I honestly don't know how often it's used. But I mean, D.C., Salt Lake. I mean, those are pretty much uh, apparently I mean, Nauvoo. I mean, there's one in those St. Are the only ones with assembly. St. George. Okay, but I, I've never heard anybody meeting in the St. George Temple. I mean, maybe right. I don't know. But I don't know. They. Pro I think they probably gutted it when they. So the Logan Temple. You know, they they got rid of the entire colonial interior in the 70s, right? 
I'm yeah. a pioneer, not colonial, pioneer. Anyway, don't know. Yeah. And it's very scary. I, the I, renovations I, 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 mean, I still think in Salt Lake, because they're apparently gutting the inside. They've already gutted the inside. Um, I'm sure they're still going to have, well, I'm pretty sure, I don't know, that they're going to have a big assembly room for like the 70s and things, but I don't think the general public's going to be able to meet there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't want to go down the path of my feelings about <laughs> about historic preservation of of priceless. Well, you're no longer LDS, so you can you can get away. You know, you're not going to get excommunicated or something for that. But I know. Okay, look, if a building if a building like the like the the Provo Tabernacle burns down, okay, that's fine. Rebuild it that way. <laughs> but you know, but but when you but if you're going to um, anyway, if you're going to gut. You know this these historic buildings that are just for the heritage. Iconic. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. I mean, so anyway, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway, so we've had so from the same beginning, right? So uh, in cur- in in the restoration, I'm sorry, the reorganization very deliberately. Um, when we talk about peeling back an onion. Joseph the Third is very kind of clearly trying to recover the old Latter-day Saintism of Kirtland by kind of deciding that Nauvoo and the Nauvoo innovations are not what he was interested in and that we need to get back to that time period when uh, we had as a movement our greatest success, which is to say at the Kirtland Temple dedication, this amazing outpouring of the spirit when we're all singing the spirit of God together. And so and so indeed, then 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 the. The temple in independence, the community of Christ temple, the idea of it is, is it shares those same components with uh, the Kirtland temple without those Nauvoo innovations, which were left kind of left behind. And which is why then if you were to go, you know, to the, um, again, Kirtland, sorry, the, the independence temple and and uh, LDS person goes through it and they won't see anything that, that would be familiar to them about a temple. And again, if you had been community of Christ and uh, gone to the open house of the of the Missouri Temple uh, in, in Clay County up there, uh, you know you wouldn't see anything that is resembling what Kirtland or or the Community of Christ understanding, right? Because like you say, it's just the it's these other parts of it that are not part of the same tradition. So, so yeah, um, and uh, John Whitmer was there in the uh, Independence Temple. Yeah. Just a couple of months ago. So that was a lot of fun. I I, I didn't realize there were so many classrooms in there. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the no the goal of it was, you know, again that the temple school would be there. So one of the in the same way that there had been, you know, the school of the prophets, the school of the apostles, you know, the school, you know, of it, you know, in the Kirtland High School was held in the Kirtland Temple. Uh, the, so yeah, the Temple School is part of the thing that was established with the um, Community Christ Temple, as well as the, um, you know, like the History Department, the the Archives and Library, and now uh, you know the Community of Christ Seminary also uh, meets there, where seminary here is, is meant, meant in the kind of a regular Christian sense, as opposed to the um, Mormon sense of you know the program for. Uh, teenagers, it's actually you know the graduate program in religious studies and, and ministry and so forth, uh, and and so yeah, all of those things in church headquarters. So all the offices of all the church leaders are there too, right? And so it's it is replicating what the temple was used for in Kirtland. So, um, so anyway, we'll just we we've talked already about the Whiteites and the Whitmerites who are extinct. Um, one of the things that had happened uh, in 
leading up to the reorganization in 1860 is that Lyman White had died, James Strang had been martyred, Charles Thompson's um, church dissolved in, in recriminations, <laughs> uh, Zadig Brooks's church in Kirtland had dissolved, uh, Alphaeus Cutler was still alive, but he was in incredibly poor shape. He couldn't, he wasn't, he wasn't mobile anymore. He'd already been an older, you know, much older, a generation older than, you know, older than Joseph Smith and so on. And, uh, and by the end he was, uh, probably, uh, you know, like addicted to lanolin and so forth, as a lot of people were that had become a medicine, you know, and so, um, was not able to actually actively do anything, become, um, immobile and, and not able to move around and so forth. Uh, by the time 1860 had rolled around. So really only Brigham Young's organization had survived uh, and was going really, really strong by, by 1860. And so um, one of the major successes of what Joseph III was able to do was to gather in so many of the pre previous organizations, the Cutlerites, the Whiteites, the Strangites, the Thompsonites, and so forth, including some, you know, people in the you know, Morrisites and some Brighamites, and especially the people who, uh, for example, hadn't um, stayed in Utah, but in fact went on to like San Bernardino or who had been in San Bernardino and didn't want to leave when Brigham Young said, you're not allowed to stay in California. So that became a center of the reorganization and so forth um, when, when Joseph III emerged as a, as a new second prophet president of the reorganized church. And so um, that has continued. Uh, we mentioned Joseph III's son, Fred M. Smith, uh, had a PhD. Um, and so it was that that interest that the Smith family had in education. Joseph Jr. was a um, not well-educated person, but um, uh, was interested in education and wanted to be a lifelong learner. He, um, you know, created the those schools in, in Kirtland and tried to learn Hebrew and all those sorts of things. Um, there have been several, um, uh, you know, Josephites have had their own schisms within the within the Joseph the Third tradition, right? So one of the ones here in Toronto, uh, R.C. Evans. R.C. Evans had been a member of. He's a Canadian. He'd been a member of the RLDS First Presidency. He believed that uh, Joseph the Third was going to name him to be the successor and not uh, his not his son, you know, Fred M. Smith. And R.C. Evans was the pretty much the greatest orator of the Restoration, probably period. Um, we would rent out here, the congregation would rent out um, the biggest theaters in Toronto. So 7,000 seat, 7,000 people and R.C. Evans would fill it up. Uh, and so it was just a, you know, just an amazingly successful preacher. Um, at a, after Fred M. took over, uh, he, he was, he groused a lot. And at a certain point, uh, they had a kind of a leadership conflict here. And R.C. Evans walked out of the congregation and took at least a third of the people with him. Uh, and started his own church called the Church of the Christian Brotherhood. Um, and so uh, that lived on until the uh, 60s or 70s when um, both of the remaining congregations sold the buildings and merged back into Community of Christ. Um, another another um, major connection was uh, when Fred M. Smith uh, was asserting that he had supreme directional control over the church, you know, so there had been a lot of... Um, uh, power vested in the presiding bishopric, a lot of power vested in the Council of Twelve Apostles, and, and Fred M. Smith wanted to say, "I'm the pre president of the church and the, and the head of the first presidency. We have supreme directional control of the church." That caused a big, uh, also a dispute. A thousand people transferred their membership from 
the RLDS church at the time to the Temple Lot church. And so that's shown there as the C. Hedrickites line. And so, in fact, the Hedrickite church, which only had had maybe 60 or 80 members at that time, its character changed massively when a thousand disgruntled RLDS people suddenly joined. Uh, and so and so it has a tradition that has, in fact, been quite connected to the Josephite tradition as a result, even though they have their own independent uh, line going back. But the most um, significant and most recent uh, thing is in the 80s when um, traditionalist uh, RLDS people um, left uh, uh, affiliation with the mainline church and joined in, in their branches or reorganized their branches as independent restoration branches, some of which are just met independently and continue to meet independently as congregations or branches, but some of which have, have joined together either to form um, the uh, Remnant Church of Jesus Christ, uh, the Restoration Church of Jesus Christ, and then groupings of branches, the Conference of Restoration Branches, the Conference of Restoration Elders. And so, and so essentially, it's a group of fundamentalist RLDS, but for RLDS fundamentals um, of, of what called the, which we call restorationists. It's a, um, there's a, a, a family of that of which there are some emerging church uh, or fully existing church uh, organizations, but some of which don't have church organizations. And then, of course, the main line of the church, the reorganized church uh, in the year 2001, changed its name to Community of Christ. And the one I see missing there is uh, Jim Van Cannon. Um, he broke off with Terry Patience uh, with the Everlasting Church of Jesus. Oh, yeah. The Everlasting Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter Days. So yeah, I can't put them all on, but yeah, there I should put more on because <laughs> because the more you have, the funner it is. <laughs> Speaking of all kinds of fun groups, <laughs> the Hedrickites. <laughs> so, so as I mentioned, yeah, this is good. I yeah, I like the Fettingites. So I need to get. I'm trying to get somebody on there, but yeah, yeah, I've, I've been holding out. I don't like to do Zoom, but I may have to. So. <laughs> yeah, these are an interesting group, right? So essentially, what ends up happening is the um, uh, the Hedrickites move to you know to recover the temple lot, and they have a little bit of a break in the meantime. But then they come back together, and they are essentially a um, one little congregation that owns a little part of the temple lot that is essentially across the street from RLDS headquarters by the 1920s, and they have ceased to have apostles they they're they're essentially functioning as a congregation and the rlds church has a a secret plot that's not too secret to absorb them and essentially make them be one little rlds congregation and so the rlds church has made a deal with them that they that we they mutually recognize each other's priesthood and that um and that members could transfer their membership back and forth. In other words, so that they can kind of start to recognize the Hedrickite church as just one little congregation within the reorganization. Um, but then, like I say, supreme directional control happens. A thousand RLDS people transfer their membership. And then that instantly creates a vibrant um, uh, Hedrickite church, which calls all new apostles, uh, 11 of the 12 of which are former, you know, are ex-RLDS, right? And so it sets a new... Um, <laughs> It's a, it sets a new trajectory. So that causes, you know, schism within it. So they try to build a temple, um, different people, autofetting starts getting um, 
visited by a messenger, later revealed to be John the Baptist, with and who tells them that they need to uh, build a temple. And so they dig a big foundation pit and they're getting ready. They're trying to do it. Uh, but one of the things that uh, the, the messenger eventually tells them all is that they have to be rebaptized uh, because of the problematic um, RLDS baptisms that they were mostly all functioning under. So rebaptism is a big no-no in the rest in the reorganization tradition. So one of the claims that the reorganized church always had that it was the real church was that when Brigham Young um, brought his members of his faction into Utah, he forced them all to get rebaptized. And, and the RLDS claim was that's because it's a new church, whereas none of the people ever had to get rebaptized into the RLDS church because they were recognized as members based on their original baptism into the early church because the RLDS church is the same church as the original church. So anyway, that's the that's the um, uh, the pretense or whatever of the thing. But that made it so not getting rebaptized was a big, you know. Uh, no, no, for a lot of RLDS people, they just thought that was a sign that you're not the real church. And so when the messenger told them all they had to get rebaptized, that caused a split again, right? So eventually, fetting actually is one of the ones that's kicked out. And so then that um, becomes, like you say, the fettingite um, branches, which have then continued to break apart and I evolve. I can't believe how many times those have split. Holy cow, that's crazy. Yeah. So there's the Naren kind of group that, um, that, went off and um, has has essentially split between the different uh, Gaiman brothers here, the Church of Christ at Haley's Bluff, and then Dan Gaiman's group, which is sort of rejected restoration backgrounds, has become a white identity church. So it is really oh. crazy far right at this point. <laughs> um, there are Fettingite churches, um, two of them, that, are, that reject... Uh, additional messages for, by Draves, William Draves. Uh, William Draves groups, the church with the Elijah message, have also split. So there used to be three. I think there's now two left remaining churches of Christ with the Elijah message. And so then there's other, uh, probably other ones as well. Uh, but essentially those have all gone in a lot of directions. The main line continues to hold the temple lot. And so that would be the temple lot church that we all can visit whenever we go to independence and go across the street from the temple or the auditorium. It's right there in the middle. Um, and they also, though, one of the churches that emerged from that group uh, was the church led by Pauline Hancock, which is called the Basement Church because they had a building that they hadn't built the top on yet, right? So they built the basement first, and they're getting ready to to build the rest. Um, that has the distinction on the first hand of being the first um, Latter-day Saint tradition, as far as I'm aware of, anyway, that was led by a woman. Uh, she, again, was one of those ex-RLDS uh, people who'd left over supreme directional control and is now kind of the head of her own kind of independent uh, uh, Hedrickite or anyway, Latter-day Saint denomination. Um, and then uh, that church is the church where the Tanners met. <laughs> Right. And so they are the ones that are holding those those cottage meetings and so forth. Um, they are really interested in um, early document studying. And so essentially the whole program of the Tanners of modern microfilm, you know, where they are going back and studying the early texts and things like that. That's something that the, the Hancock Church, the basement church was kind of all doing. And then part of their study ultimately was that they um, ended up deciding that the, the the Book of Mormon actually, you know, the, they've rejected the Book of Mormon's historicity and so forth. And so then as a church, they uh, they voted to decanonize it. And then as they kind of went further and would, did further study, 
they ultimately, um, you know, uh, you know, rejected kind of all restoration distinctives and other things, and they voted to disband as a church. And so that church has the distinction also of going so far to the left that they, you know, voted themselves out of existence. Um, but I put on here also, uh, even though it's not part of the restoration tradition and it isn't a particularly an actual break, the I'm making it gray here to show that the Utah Lighthouse Ministry, in a sense, has a um, has owes some of its distinctives. Uh, it's obviously an evangelical Christian church that's not restoration, but it's it's a it obviously is in communication with the restoration. <laughs> so. Right, right. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So was it Eugene? There's that thing there. Um, oh, where were we? It, was it Pauline Hancock that voted themselves out, or was it the Eugene Wilcox? So I, so I, I think he would have been the leader by the time. I think she might have been dead by the time they voted themselves out of existence. So I think that the idea of it is, is that the Eugene Wilcox is the, is the, um, the leader of the group after when they decide to disband. Okay. So circles mean that the group is gone, right? So the, uh, right. the little stars are the mean that that's like referring to the existing groups. And then Sandra, I guess she's shutting down her ministry. I don't know if you've heard that. Have you heard that? I hadn't heard that, but I mean, I, I could imagine. I mean, she's, uh, she's done a lot of work for a lot of time. And, you know, at a certain point, unless there's a successor, you know, so. Yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be a successor. So she's basically retiring this spring, is what I hear, and yeah, and then that's going to be no more. So well, then I'll put that. that I'll make that a circle. circle instead of a star. <laughs> when that, <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> but she's still alive. Yeah, so. yeah. No, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean you died. It, it means that the organization isn't isn't functioning. So, or has yeah. moved on to successors that are on the chart still. So anyway, so there's the, t I was going to show this before when I started talking about the Temple Lot Church, but anyway, there's the Temple Lot today. Um, the lighter green area is the original Temple parcel. And so even though the Temple Lot Church, we sometimes think of that area is the Temple Lot, that's simply the traditional spot of where the temple, the first of the temples was maybe going to be put. The Temple parcel is the, the first of the 24. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The first of the 24 temples. Uh, the Temple parcel in general includes where the LDS Visitor Center is and a whole big field that the LDS Church owns, not up to where the Stake Center is. The Stake Center is off the Temple lot. The temp Community Christ uh, Temple and the Auditorium and, it's, and, their, and the Auditorium's parking lot are also on there, as is our UN Peace Memorial. I always feel like the Community of Christ uh, made a memorial to the UN on the temple lot simply to uh, get back at that uh, town in, in Utah that seceded from the UN. <laughs> but actually, actually, it's because Harry Truman is from Independence and he announced the formation of the UN at the actually in the auditorium. And so and so it was a oh. and so that's a historic monument for that reason. The Stone Church, uh, which is a historic um, RLDS um, chapel, is off the Temple Lot. So it's on the other side of the street from the Temple Lot. And so if we take oh, again okay. the Temple Lot as that light green area, if we go to the 1333 plat, the original Temple Plat that they drew up in, in, in Kirtland. And if you try to kind of place, if you assume that the traditional spot for the first of the temples is correct, 
which it may not be. And if you assume the kind of the mark on this plat is where that one is, then, then that's how you would overlay the actual plat on the actual temple parcel. And so, and so essentially where the temple at church is, where the LDS visitor center is, where the auditorium is and where the community of Christ temple is overlaps with where some of these temples would be. Right. Uh, but okay, and so some of those are where the stone church is, though, right? Those three temples there. That's true. Yeah, that's and true too. Yeah. Go. So the stone church is not on the parcel, but it's actually where the it is where those temples were supposed to go. Um, so yeah. then, but likewise, what part of the issue is that even though that was the more famous plat, the original plat that they drew up in Kirtland, the people in Missouri said, "Well, wait a second. There's a hill here that you're maybe not taking into account." <laughs> You know, like where the LDS Visitor Center and the auditorium is, there's a big slope. And so do you really want to have all these temples on the, you know, downside of the slope and so forth? And so they um, the, they wrote back and said, why don't we do orient it this way? Uh, and so and make and make a plat that is actually four times as big. And so the second plat that is actually drawn up in Missouri by the Missouri church leadership uh, would have reoriented this way. And so in, and in any event, the temple lots are still kind of covering the area where the temple lot is, the stone church, the temple, the auditorium, the LDS visitor center and so forth. So, so anyway, so that's how it looks today with the, the remnant church's headquarters, not the, not the remnant movement. This is the, the Josephite remnant church, <laughs> you know, the, uh, that's right. the, uh, temple lot, the Hedrickite main Hedrickite church headquarters, uh, the UN, the UN Peace thing, the Stone Church, the Auditorium, the Temple, the LDS Visitor Center, and the LDS Stake Center. The, like I say, the the Cutlerite Church is just a few blocks south. Um, and there's actually a bunch of other headquarters is all around Independence. Independence is lots of fun for that. <laughs> so, well, and that Remnant Church headquarters used to be a high school, Christmas High School, I think it was called. That's right. And then I was talking to somebody at Whitmer Conference. And he had a, he was wearing a Christmas high school shirt. There are, I was like, hey. <laughs> there are a lot of, uh, I've got a lot of old uh, Community of Christ friends who graduated from Christmas high school. And so they're used to that. So, so they definitely. Um, well, and then it became a junior high apparently after that. And okay. then the remnant church bought it after it was a junior high. But it says high school on the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not their main, it's just their headquarters because it's by the temple lot. But they actually have, um developments that are further east in in jackson county so they have a conference center and a and a development i think you know uh that are anyway that are not there but this is anyway where the offices are because of proximity to the temple lot so okay so just to wrap up a couple things so one of the things that uh, that ended up happening is um in my view, some of the because of the results of the succession crisis is that the succession theories, how you um, argued for legitimacy, um, kind of ended up trapping or potentially trapping the different traditions in 1844. And so because uh, in order to legitimize uh, his claim that he should have been the leader, um, you know, Brigham Young, who was the senior most apostle, and he opposed uh, as his main rival, Sidney Rigdon, the last surviving member of the First Presidency. Um, in practice, therefore, the senior most apostle automatically succeeds to leadership of the LDS Church when the prophet dies. And it's said then that the First Presidency dissolves 
you know, and that's a very, you know, formalized ritual practice that happens in the Utah LDS church, even though there's nothing that says the first presidency dissolves. <laughs> it's just another way to uh, retroactively delegitimize Sidney Rigdon. Uh, and I just say on here, gerontocracy results, you know, the problem with it is when you are, are um, having uh, a system where you have to wait through, you know, there's actually 15 apostles. So when you have to wait through, uh, you know, the, peop the 14 people in front of you uh, to die, then even if you are like one of the people who was um, ordained relatively young, like Thomas Monson, by the time he uh, by the time he actually got to be the church president, he was quite old, you know, and the prophet today, I think, is 98. Right. And so having the leader in, the, in his 90s has been actually a pretty common um, uh, situation since since the 60s and 70s, you know, and so so it's not uh, certainly 80s and 90s is is the norm, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so likewise, so James Strang, so James Strang, um, um, claimed that he was appointed successor by Joseph Smith. He claimed that he had a letter to that effect. He claimed that he was ordained by angels. He opposed Brigham Young and the apostles, you know, who claimed that, uh, the apostles should lead the church. And indeed he wrote into, or in other words, not wrote into, if you want to, from the Strangite perspective, new revelation. When you read the actual book of the law, the, the brass plates that, uh, that, uh, Nephi went back to get from Laban, when you translate those into English and they become this fourth book of this, of Mormon scripture that the Strangites have, the book of the law, um, it, they say on it very clearly that apostles don't have that power. And, and so as a result of that, um, the apostles are not ortho or authorized. So when Strang is martyred, uh, they're not authorized. Um, Strang, failed or declined to appoint a successor. So there is no appointed successor. And so far, angels have not showed up um, to appoint the new successor to the Strangite Church. And as a result, there is no successor, right? And so um, so as a result, the person who is the, the leader is the, is the high priest who is um, elected to that position by the Strangite Conference, essentially. And so, uh, and so that uh, has continued where they do not have anybody who is at the level of uh, apostle or first presidency because they they have an ongoing line of high priests and so they're able to appoint new high priests but they can't appoint anybody anybody higher than that uh, and so and so that's kind of where the strangites are um, likewise then joseph the third of course he's the son of the predecessor um uh, he obviously also appoint, opposed apostles as the successors. And so, so he was definitely clear on making the first presidency different from the apostles. It's its own independent, uh, council or quorum. Um, but he also, Joseph Smith, the third himself always emphasized that he was, um, uh, the president really not by lineage, the way William Smith had promoted, but rather, uh, because his father had appointed him to be his successor. And he, as prophet clarified how that would work and created his own um, letters of counsel about how succession would work. And that is especially involving, um, you know, who the prophet appoints. And this is one of the reasons why R.C. Evans really thought he was going to get appointed, right? Because he here he is the best speaker in the church. He's a more experienced leader and so on and so forth. He'd been in the first presidency longer. Who's this little kid, Fred M. Smith, to, to be named? Um, but uh, any, in any event, what he ends up doing, though, is appointing his son. <laughs> and so so even though he's kind of emphasizing that appointment is the issue, um, 
Um, he appoints his son. And so then it stays in the family, you know, all the way up until the 1990s. And indeed, the last Smith apostle, I'm sorry, the last Smith prophet, uh, Wallace B. Smith is still alive and continues to be the emeritus prophet of Community of Christ today. Although then he decided um, or he said that God was no longer calling Smith to be the uh, the prophet. And so he called Grant McMurray to uh, be the prophet. And so Grant McMurray succeeded by appointment. But then uh, the community of Christ had the uh, uncomfortable and problematic issue happen where um, we already don't have Smith family <laughs> prophets. And now Grant McMurray um, resigned without naming a successor. Uh, and so, so how do, how do you have a, a leader now, <laughs> you know, when you're stuck in your 1844 um, succession crisis? And so um, what ends up happening uh, is that the church leadership, the first presidency didn't dissolve. The first presidency continued to exist. They didn't have a president anymore, but they had the other two members. Um, and so the, as they were um, kind of leading, temporarily leading the church in a kind of a pro tempore system, they said, uh, we will have a church-wide discernment process so that we can all as a church pray to decide who God is calling to lead the church. Um, you know, that ultimately focused on then in practice on the Council of Twelve and the person who was president of the Council of Twelve, Steve Vesey, ended up being the next president of the church. So there's a lot of LDS people who say, wait a second, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened in the remnant church too the, the terry patience was the president of Corinth the 12 yeah 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 <laughs> so no, it's like it is kind of a it is kind of but but the difference here was that um that you don't you, president of the council of 12 president of the quorum of 12 in community of christ tradition is not the senior most member and in fact actually stephen Vesey was one of the younger apostles um but he even though he was uh, oh. even though he'd been elected so the 12 elect their own president and it's not by, based on who's oldest or anything like that so um uh anyway so that right now the um in the next world conference for example the current uh, president of the 12 ron Harmon, has been called to be the presiding bishop of the church so he is going to leave leave the 12 and become the presiding bishop enter the presiding bishopric uh and so when that happens uh, and the two new apostles are called, and they um, one another apostles retiring, and then when when the two new apostles are called, then then there's a ritual where they then vote during that same conference. You know, they vote together on who who the next president of the twelve will be, and so it doesn't have to be the senior most member. And so and so the question that we kind of have in Community of Christ going forward, and this is a completely open question, is. Um, what's going to happen going forward. So Steve Vesey has been around a long enough time that we're really to, and he's now gotten to retirement age. He's like 66 or 65, something like that. And so, um, and so he's at a time when he probably will be announcing before, you know, if not this conference, the next conference three years from now, his retirement. But we don't really have a window yet into how the succession is going to happen. And so part of the issue is if, I think he's very unlikely, although it's completely possible to go back to picking Smiths, <laughs> you know, so we you know we get a Smith, a Smith, um, uh, uh, prophet president could completely happen. We have a, an excellent, um, Smith leader right now. And, uh, you know, who could be the leader Locke Mackay, you know? And so, and so that would be an, an example of going back to that. Um, I, oh, that would be awesome! I love Locke. He's awesome. I, I'm fine with me, you know. But anyway, so that would be uh, that's a that's certainly a, a possibility, you know. Um, uh, but if and the, so, that would be 
that would probably be involved both appointment and going back to Smith. It, we, that's unlikely, probably. I don't know. I don't. I'm not saying it. I'm, I'm not going to. I don't have odds on this. It's completely. There's no. There's no. Um, I'm just speculating. There is no. You know. There. There's been no indications, right? So another thing, though, it could be that you know just goes back to just appointing people. But um, I guess what I would argue in the same way that we're seeing here that how um, the practices retroactively legitimize the the successor right and so or the predecessor so the the way that the lds church continues to have succession which is totally fixed now and i don't think is probably open to change i mean they might eventually decide to start making themselves emeritus but it seems very hard to imagine that they're going to but anyway when if they they might do that but in the meantime um it legitimates brigham young uh you know because they're doing it in the same fashion right and so in order, what I would suggest is um, we, we're to a place now for Steve Easy in order to say that that discernment process, this thing where we were saying the entire church was praying, who is God calling us to be, um, to be the leader of the church? Who is God calling uh, and where we're all acted as a prophetic people in order to um, manifest uh, that revelatory impulse? Um, I think in order to retroactively legitimize that process that for Steve Easy, that going forward, actually, we should be becoming less of a um, constitutional monarchy and more of a constitutional republic, which is to say where the prophet and president is elected by uh, the World Conference of Community of Christ to serve, let's say, a six-year term or something like that. Um, anyway, that uh, that's just my own thoughts. That is not like the church is not saying that. There is nobody in the church has said anything. <laughs> but you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> well, there you go. I, I do know there's a rumor going around that the next prophet will be a woman. Well, I, 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 I would that say rumor? that the... Um, that everybody in the church is ready for that, right? And so I think that um, I think that, for example, that would be a problem. So Pauline Hancock wouldn't be the the last one, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the the so that would be a problem with getting a Smith in the in the person of Locke is that he is a uh, American white guy, right? <laughs> you know, and so so I think that um, uh, you know the church members are ready to have uh, a prophet president who is a woman. So our first female prophet president. And, and so obviously a person like Stacy Cram would be an obvious. Um, so she's been the presiding bishop, bishop and she's been uh, an apostle. She's been in the first presidency. Um, so she would be an obvious candidate uh, to be the next, to be Steve Easy's successor. Um, it seems to me that if we're in a place where, you know, like, so like, when you're in the College of Cardinals in Rome and, and the Pope has either just recently abdicated or he has died, um, there is an enormous desire on the part of you as a cardinal to call somebody who's Italian <laughs> because you're all Italians and you want the Italians to be in charge. And that's why that's happened most of the time for, you know, uh, you know hundreds of years. Right. But um, but there is amazing pressure from the rest of the church to have it not be an Italian guy. And they're all going to be a guy, but they're not to have an Italian. Right. And so that's why I actually predicted right. they would pick Francis because all the people in Argentina are Italians, including Francis. And so he's technically from South America, but he's an Italian South American, you know? And so that's why I'm like, oh, really? that's why I'm like, I know they're going to pick him. And they did anyway. So, but I think that um, in that same way, uh, I think there would be 
pretty significant disappointment. I think Locke could squirt the the needle on this because of being a Smith. But I think that, for example, if let's say Ron Harmon, right, he's the president of the 12, he's the uh, incoming presiding bishopric, he's a young, dynamic, a great leader and everything like that, but he's a white guy. And so I think that white American guy. And so I think that if uh, if he was named as the successor and it's just an appointment, I think that that would be kind of disappointing for a lot of the people. And certainly as we've become a more um, consciously global um, uh, uh, you know, church that is not uh, trying not to be American focused and headquarters focused, right? So there is a majority for the very first time in the next and in the incoming Council of Twelve Apostles is a it's um, half, half only half male, uh, half uh, women and non-binary, and um, and then it is only it is minority American, majority. Uh, international counting Canada as international, <laughs> which we do. We do count. So there. <laughs> so are you saying this will happen at the next general conference or the one three years down the no, road? The, the upcoming world conference, which is in April, the, the we already have listed okay. what the, so we don't have any changes to the, um, First presidency, but we have changes to the um, to the presiding bishopric that have been already announced, and changes to the apostles. So, like I say, the president of the apostles. Well, Carla Long's going to be in the presiding bishopric, right? That's she, right. she lives here in uh, Saratoga or Eagle Mountain. I'm not sure. That's right. Yeah. So there's all new presiding she's, bishopric. She's really close and so Ron Harvey, who's the current uh, president, would be, and then Carla, and new all all three new presiding bishopric will be changed, uh, and then. And then there's two new apostles because one of the apostles, Barb Carter, is retiring. Uh, and so, anyway, so there's two new apostles. Okay. And so are you thinking about doing it for a, like a six-year term now instead of, because I think with Steve Vizzi, it was just open-ended and he served well, no. for... Yeah, I, I, we have no idea what's going to happen. I was just proposing that there be a six-year term. In other words, that, okay. that, the, um, that the prophet president... Uh, again, could be legitimated by not through random appointment. I mean, in other words, even if Steve Vizzi is the uh, the best leader in the world, and but he has concentrated like a huge amount of power into him actually for a church that is um, moving towards being a prophetic people, a, a um, theotic, uh, a, 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 it's, a, it's a theocratic democracy as opposed to a theocratic dictatorship. And so the more we are moving that way, there's still like an amazing amount of power that is concentrated in the presidency since um, Fred M. asserted supreme directional control over the church. And so if, if it's just a, if it's just appointment and they can kind of appoint anybody randomly, so you could appoint somebody and maybe they seem really great, but once they're appointed, what, what is the check on their power? Right. And so, and so, so I think it's the, it's a, the, the, the situation is potentially kind of dangerous going forward if it's if it's simply going off on a on an appoint 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 kind of path as opposed to having more input and also potentially terms, you know like and so and so I don't so that's that's all I'm suggesting. But we haven't it, this is not a um, it, this would be very new to everybody's ears even in Community of Christ what I've just said. But I've just been thinking about it a lot lately. So very cool. And so you're going to be the next apostle, is that right? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually know who the next two apostles are, and I'm not going to be either one of them. 
Oh, have they already announced that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, very cool. Um, well, because I Evan Charlie invited me to come to World Conference, um, and I'm like, oh, that's really tempting. I, I might, I might have to come. So it's going to be really. Is that is that in Independence? Yeah, Independence in April. It's going to be really. Um, it's going to be interesting stuff. <laughs> There's going to be a lot going on in this conference, and it's the first time we've done it for four years, and uh, and lots of people will be there. Evan's going to be there. We'll all be there. You know, we're going to have a whole whole big crowd. So it'll be fun. <laughs> so I obviously I won't get to vote on that. So, but uh, still sounds like a lot of fun. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, the way it works is um, so the people who are there for voting is uh, are actually elected delegates, right? So, so as like, unlike in the LDS General Conference, where just anybody who has a ticket or however it is, you go in there and everybody watching by a satellite and so forth, you know, votes in terms of affirming or you know, in the, those opposed occasionally, but mostly not. Uh, in this case, it's an actual the the conference is actually like parliament in the sense that it's technically sovereign, and so the um, the the world conference is made up of delegates from the various mission centers all around the church, and so Canada has two mission centers, and we have my mission center can send something like seventy delegates or a lot of delegates anyway. And so I'll be a delegate. And the mission center is like a state, kind of basically, right? Yeah, or like an area. So it's kind of like a, if and it's, it's hard to say. It's not quite a stake because stakes are kind of small. So I don't know. Maybe how many congregations in a stake? Um, four to twelve. Yeah. So there's usually there's fifty congregations in my mission center. In a mission. In center. my mission center. Oh, okay. You know, so so it's it's oh, okay. so it's not so it's not quite the same as a stake, you know, but it's it's sort of like a stake in the sense that. Um, you know, we have a, we're supposed to have a council, like a high council, you know, like a high council, although we don't think we use, we don't use the word, we don't use the word high. (laughs) (laughs) Our councils are never high. (laughs) 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 All right. So that brings us all the way back to our constellation of Mormonism and where it all came from and how it all connects together. So hopefully that's been interesting. This is awesome, John. Yeah, well, I really appreciate yeah. that you invited me on and that we got to go through all some of these stories. And I know there's so many more tales and there's so many more groups than I put on. And there's a couple... I know. I pointed out a few, yeah. And there's a couple I apologize to people who are members of those groups for me not putting on your group yet. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I'll, I'll add it to the slides next time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is awesome, John. Um, well, I'm going to definitely look forward to World Conference. Is it the same weekend as General Conference? Do you know? It's late. It's, it's later, not. fortunately. So, um, so I think it's later in the month. So uh, okay. I, I have to look it up. You can type it in. Community of Christ World Conference 2023. The dates come up. I think it's like a couple weeks after. I'm going to make sure I'm yeah. free that weekend. Yeah. Yep. So... Well, awesome. Well, uh, what other projects aren't you always working on books and things like that, or what are you working on? Well, I am, but the um, the biggest thing that I that I'm actually really there's two two things that are kind of the biggest thing. So my um, my Sunday service, which is online, so the congregation here in Toronto, as a result of actually even before the pandemic, we had a fully hybrid service, but as a result of the pandemic, the um, our ministry expanded massively. And so 
we're now in a place where um, our Sunday service beyond the walls um, is the largest uh, online ministry and community of Christ. And so the members of my congregation, you don't have to live in a geographical boundary uh, like in with a Mormon ward. Uh, you don't have to live in Canada to be a member of the Toronto congregation. And so um, members are all over the place. People are engaging at literally all around the world. Um, our services every Sunday are translated into the church's three core languages. So they're always, there's always t uh, subtitles in, in uh, English, French, and Spanish always. And so, and if the ministry is in French, then you can be, uh, if you're an English speaker, you can read the English and otherwise, you know, any, any number of languages. We've actually had people give ministry in 40 different languages on our, one of our services. Um, and so that obviously has uh, emerged to take like a huge proportion of, of my time up. And then the other thing that um, um, I'm committed to is I have our um, our history, theology, philosophy lecture series that my congregation, Toronto Center Place, sponsors on YouTube. And um, and so I've now done just hundreds of hours of lecturing on, I mean, the most recent one Tuesday was on the prophetic um, monarchy and comparing essentially like those Strangite, Brighamite and Josephite um, prophetic traditions to British monarchy that I've been thinking about since the queen died uh, and, and kind of doing kind of a lecture on that. But sometimes we do restoration topics. Sometimes we do topics about um, Christian scripture, Christian history, uh, Old Testament, uh, everything from everything into that to Greek philosophy and so forth uh, and all and everything in between. So there's hundreds of hours of that on that channel, which is now um, um, done pretty well. So we have oh, about over 5 million views and, and, so if people are interested in these kind of topics, um, you can look that up on their Center Place uh, TV YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, I've attended a few of those and they're always interesting. So how many people do you think you have per week that attend those? The lectures? Um, yeah. So usually like live, there maybe is going to be an audience of in, on the cross platforms, we, we live stream it to both uh, Facebook and YouTube. And so maybe maybe total live, it's going to be between 150 and 200 people live. Uh, and then and then like the most popular one of those uh, lectures from this year was on the historical Jesus. And that one has over 100,000 views. Um, the top of the lectures has about 500,000 views. The top 12 all are over 100,000 views each. And so, um, and so there's wow. a lot of people um, watching it. In fact, um, we're at a place right now. Um, so this is the congregation's channel. We're at a place right now where uh, we actually have more subscribers to our YouTube channel than any church in Canada other than the Catholic Church's Daily Mass TV. So Catholic Church Daily Mass TV has 10 times as many, you know, subscribers as us. I'm not, we're not beating them. We're not in close. I'm just the same way on this chart. Community Christ is way smaller than the LDS church. So we're, I'm, my, my YouTube channel is way smaller than Daily Mass TV. However, I am, have more subscribers than any evangelical mega church in Canada. So, so the, so there's, wow. so, so we're beating out all of those. The largest, uh, way more than the largest Protestant denominations in, in Canada and so forth. So, so we're pretty excited about how, um, how much this between our online Sunday service and the Tuesday, um, lecture topics, uh, you know, how much there's reception of that. We, I kind of feel like, um, in community for, for community of Christ, 
um, more people right now are being exposed through that uh, online means like that, through this ministry to community of Christ than at any time in the church's history since the death of Joseph Smith Jr. So Joseph Smith Jr. had, uh, you know, a lot of press. <laughs> but uh, but I don't think that, I think that in terms of the rest of the community of Christ history subsequently, um, and obviously that Joseph Smith period is shared with the LDS church, um, that, that, um, that we probably haven't been exposed and you know, had this much exposure as what we're having right now because of the, you know, what people are reacting to the channel. And so it's actually more than I can respond to. People are writing all the time and wanting to learn more about the church and things like that. I need, I need missionaries. Join my church and be a missionary. I, I've got, <laughs> I got a job for you. <laughs> Just responding to all your emails. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, this is great, John. Um, I, you know, I, I look forward. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to see you in August, in April, excuse me, and then, uh, and you're going to Whitmer in September, I guess, in Texas, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Any other plans you have for conferences, MHA? I'll be, or at, anything Sun, I'll like be at Sunstone. Sunstone. I won't be able to go to MHA, unfortunately. Well, oh wait, MHA is gonna actually be in New York. Anyway, I might have to. I might be able to go to MHA. <laughs> It's it's literally a, like a it's like a four hour drive. It's hard for me not to go. So anyway, well I'll I'll I'll, I'll I might see you at MHA too. <laughs> the problem is well, good, I, have, good. I have so that many conference awesome. um, requirements. You know we have like all these. Con I mean I I literally unfortunately ever since uh, the beginning of the summer I was uh, when I went to. I know that I'm not going to get a lot of uh, a lot of people crying for me because it was Tahiti. So when I <laughs> so when, so when I went to Tahiti to visit church members for a week and a half in in um, whenever that was in in May, uh, you know, till just two weeks ago when I came back from visiting members of the church and you know went to Sunstone UK and met with members in Scotland and Wales and England. Um, I was I was on the road and and visiting um, you know different places and conferences and things like that like two thirds of my time and I was only one third of the time here, and so it is draining to to go to you know when there's so many conferences and I love doing it and I I want to go to all of them but it, it it at a certain point it's hard to get anything done if you are continuously on the road and doing that. So. Yeah, no, I understand that. So, all right. Well, any last thoughts before I let you go? Um, well, no, I just, I just want to thank you so much for the invitation. I, I love your podcast. I think you do such a great, uh, job of being continually positive, uh, in a, in a universe where there's sometimes a lot of apologetic contention <laughs> and all those kind of things, uh, and not everybody, uh, gets along. It's, you've done an amazing job of, of always, uh, uh, just being such a, a gracious host. And, uh, and I'm sure that your audience as a result of that, um, uh, it gravitates to that wonderful tone that you present. So. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, John Hamer, I thank you so much for being here on Gospel Tangents. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it so much. Bye. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with John Hamer. John, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Looking forward to going to World Conference in April in Independence, and so really looking forward to that. For those of you who haven't got his book, I know it's about 10 years old. It's not as up-to-date as our presentation. But this is a fantastic book, and a lot of it's still really good information. So you don't want to miss Scattering of the Saints. In our next conversation, I'm excited to introduce another return visitor. This time, we're going to have Jonathan Neville. 
He's the author of Infinite Goodness, and we're going to talk a lot about Book of Mormon translation. So the theory is that he just put the stone in a hat and words appeared on the stone and he read the words. And you don't like that theory? Well, it's not a question of liking it. To me, it's implausible. Now, and, but I'm fine if people want to believe that. I, I don't, I'm not trying to tell anybody not to believe it. I, for me, it doesn't work. Let's put it that way. And I think Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were pretty clear that that is not how they did it. If you like what we're doing here on Gospel Tangents, please become a paid subscriber at gospeltangents.com or patreon.com slash gospeltangents. We've got full transcripts on our website at gospeltangents.com. And if you'd like to check out some of our other conversations, click over here. Thanks.